All right, let's start tonight as we're going to be discussing I am the resurrection and the life uh, from John chapter 11. Uh, this fifth of the I am statements of Jesus, I'm going to give you four different um, actions, and I want you to rank these actions in your own mind. I want you to rank these actions in order from easiest to hardest to do. Okay, so these are actions. Rank them from easiest to do to hardest to do. Okay? Uh, heal someone who is sick. Wake someone who is sleeping is B. Raise someone who is spiritually dead. Raise someone who is physically dead. So if you were going to say, well, I think they're already in order from easiest to hardest, then you just say A, B, C, D. Uh, but in your mind, I want you to put them in order from easiest to do to hardest to do. And I'll give you a couple of seconds to think about that and put those in order. Okay, now I want you to turn to someone who is there nearby you, and I want you to tell them your order and them to tell you their order and see if you agree on that order. Now that you've discussed that, I know some of you, I know most of you in here, some of you are overthinking it, some of you are saying there's a trap here, you know, let's look at this like Reagan looks at this, you know, uh, I even saw Brent over here, he kind of did like a smirk and like a point, I'm not sure what was up with that, um, but I, I'm not trying to trick you, uh, I think we can put these in order fairly easily. Um, here's the order I would put them in, and if you disagree with me, then uh, you can come teach the rest of the class. No, I'm just kidding. Um, here's the order I would put them in. B, first, wake someone sleeping. Uh, now, some people are harder to wake than others, uh, and some people are much better at waking people from sleep than others. In fact, we were talking uh, just this evening at supper about my grandmother on my mother's side and how she is so proficient at this at about 6.30 in the morning on Saturdays on vacation. You know, she's just... She's really good at this. She can, she can open and close the microwave and it's like a bomb went off. You know, ka-chung, ka-chung. She can wake someone from sleeping, right? But we can all do that. Some people are heavy sleepers, some people aren't. But from there, one who is sick. Well, you don't have a lot of information there, but, but parents are pretty good at this, right? They're fixing boo-boos and maybe those are small sicknesses. We have medicine that we use to try and help people. That's within our purview as human beings, is there's lots of sicknesses that we're pretty good at healing. Then from there, what do you think is next? Some people say C. Some people say D. 
Um, what, is, what is the hardest to do? What do you think? Who says C? Raise your hand if you say C. Okay, we'll go back here so that you can remember which those are. C, raise someone who is spiritually dead. Who says that's the next easiest? Okay, who says D, raise someone who is physically dead? Okay, we got a few hands for that as well. I would suggest, and this is going to be part of our lesson tonight, I would suggest that the next answer is D, raise someone who is physically dead. It's the next easiest to do. In terms of what it takes in order to make that happen. And from there, raising someone who is spiritually dead. You want proof for how someone has the power to raise someone from the spiritual dead? Well, I would suggest someone who can raise someone from the physical dead. Well, they're just showing, well, I can do something even greater than that. So let's turn to John chapter 11 and let's talk about that concept tonight. Physical death and spiritual death and raising someone from each of these. And we're even going to talk about, here in these first few verses, someone who's sick and someone who's sleeping. Let's start reading in verse 1 of John chapter 11. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. Uh, Bethany was just outside of Jerusalem. In fact, this is where Jesus normally stayed when he went to Jerusalem. Uh, You could get from Bethany to Jerusalem really easily, Uh, where you could go in in the morning and come back in the evening, that sort of thing. But Jesus at this time is in Perea, uh, on the eastern side of the Jordan River, where John was baptizing at first. That would have put him about 25 miles or so from Jerusalem. And knowing that trip and the difficulty of that trip, crossing the Jordan, going from Jericho up to Jerusalem, it would have been about a two-day journey from Perea, where Jesus was, to Bethany, where Lazarus was. Now this was the town of Mary and her sister Martha, we're told, and these three were siblings. Verse 2, It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So what do they ask him to do? That's that's the right answer. Nothing. They don't ask him to do anything. They just make him aware that his friend, Lazarus, whom he loves, is sick. So what do they assume he's going to do? Well, I think it's implied. They expect him to do what? Come and heal him, right? So, verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said... This sickness, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. So it's two days journey. He stayed two more days. Then after uh, this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Jesus isn't going to hide here. He is the light of the world. 
and his time has not yet fully come, and so I'm going to go, and that's, that's the way it's going to be. Uh, these things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him. Wake him up, he says. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. Uh, they knew as we do, sleep generally is good for someone as they're trying to recover from illness. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. All right, before I ask some questions of you, any questions of me of those verses? What we see there. Okay, let me ask you some questions. Um, isn't it interesting that Jesus veils the idea that Lazarus is dead? In what ways does Jesus obscure to his disciples that Lazarus is dead or dying with this illness? Give me some examples from the text. It says, oh, our friend Lazarus is sleeping, right? So that obscures the fact that he meant that he was dead by that. Okay, anything else that obscures the fact that, that he was dead or that this was a sickness uh, that would cause death? Right, verse 4, he says, this is a sickness, this sickness is not unto death. Was that true? Well, Jesus said it, so be careful, right? Yes, yes, that was true. What did he mean by that? Lazarus was going to die, right? But what did he mean by that? John? Oh, I thought you were about to say something. Well, now you have to. What do you think he meant by that? Okay, so this is a sickness not unto spiritual death. I think we're thinking in the right terms as far as trying to think, okay, physical and spiritual death. As we walk through this passage, we need to be thinking to ourselves, okay, is he talking about physical death or spiritual death? That's a, that's a possible explanation. Uh, I, I think that's the more likely explanation. Um, that this in, How does this all end up? Does it end up with Lazarus being dead? No, uh, this is a temporary situation. And that idea of it being a temporary situation is emphasized in the other things that he calls this here. Um, he is equating Lazarus' death with other things. He's equating it with being sick, and he's equating it with sleeping. Now, what is sleep? If not a temporary condition, right? Um, if it's permanent, we call that a what? A coma, right? So it's not just sleep, it's a coma. Uh, if it goes on longer than that, then it is death. That's what it ultimately is, right? Sleeping implies that you're going to wake up again. That's the idea. It's a temporary condition. And Jesus is trying to emphasize that Lazarus has a temporary condition that could be solved by him. He's sick? Well, I can heal him. He's asleep? Well, I can wake him up. He's dead? Well, I can raise him from the dead. Now, here's the great thing about that. For Jesus, which of those things was hardest to do? That's exactly right. None of them. 
is as easy for Jesus to shake someone awake who is sleeping as shake someone awake who's been dead for four days. For Him, those are equal in difficulty. Which is to say, not very difficult at all. And Jesus' claim that we're going to read here in just a second, that I am the resurrection and the life, emphasizes that very idea. I am the life. I'm the source of life. I'm the giver of life. I'm the taker of life. And if someone dies and is going to be raised, I am the one who is going to have and does have the ability to wake them. Um, You know, I've been to dozens and dozens of funerals in my life um, as a preacher's kid and then as a preacher myself. And uh, Some are open casket, some aren't. But on the open casket funerals, um, sometimes those people, you, you look at them and, and it's a lesson. It's a lesson we've tried to teach our kids. You know, look at them. Does that look like them? No, it doesn't look like them. Because this is just a tent. This is just a shell. Their, their spirit's gone. You know, they're not here anymore. Then there are other times I can think of two off the top of my head where you went and looked in the casket and it's creepy because they look they look asleep. They don't look dead. And it looks like you could just reach out and shake them and they open their eyes and sit up in the casket. I mean, it's it's weird. But that's what Jesus could do at any funeral. That's what he could do when somebody's cremated. He could shake them and they could come to life again. And Jesus is emphasizing that. And Thomas and others need to realize that. In verse 15, what is the reason he gives? Number one, for not going immediately, but also that they're going now. Why did Jesus do this? For what purpose? Glorify God. So that's back in verse 4, right? God's going to be glorified in this. He's going to make that same statement later uh, that you'll see the glory of God. He's going to remind Martha of that. Didn't I tell you you could see the glory of God, but only if what? And that's verse 15. If you believe, right? So I'm going to show you the glory of God so that you might believe. Uh, That's his purpose in doing these things. And and I would suggest uh, one of the first things that I want us to see from John chapter 11 We must believe that any condition we have can be temporary if if we get Jesus working for us. If we believe that He is the resurrection and the life. Any sin that we commit that separates us from God, that can be a temporary condition. Any physical illness that we have, if God so chooses, that can be a temporary condition. Even death is not the end. If Jesus decides to intercede, it's only temporary. Okay. So, uh, let's keep reading in verse 17 then. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Uh, What does that mean as far as our timeline here? He, He died right after he received word. So theoretically, Jesus could have healed him because we already know from earlier miracles Jesus worked that That distance is not a barrier to him, right? Even here in the Gospel of John, when he heals the nobleman's son, right? He says, well, I'll come and heal him. And he's like, no, no, 
You, you don't have to do that. I, I know that you just say the word and it'll happen, and that's what happens, right? So distance, 25 miles, doesn't mean anything to Jesus. So he could have healed him, but he couldn't have gotten there in time to like lay hands on him or anything like that. So four days later, he arrives. Uh, now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Um, And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Uh, So they're on day four of mourning. Uh, The Mishnah, which is one of the Jewish documents that interpreted the law, recommended seven days of mourning. So uh, they're four days into the seven days when Jesus arrives. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. What kind of question? is, do you believe this? Um, so you don't, you're not guessing here. How is this question intended to be answered? This kind of question. Uh, okay. Uh, if it was on a test, you'd have true false, right? You'd have yes, no. Um, this is not an essay question, right? Do you believe this? Uh, this is a head rattling question. Yes or no, right? Um, do you believe this or not? And so how does Martha answer it? Yes, Lord, and here's my essay explaining my answer, right? Uh, I, I, I love Martha. I've, I've come to love Martha more and more, uh, I guess, as I've gotten older and studied more. Um, and Martha, uh, one of the things I love about her, I think, is, is she was so careful about everything that she did. Nothing was, nothing was haphazard. Uh, nothing was fly by the seat of your pants. And maybe I, I uh, value that because it's not me. <laughs> uh, but, but here, she's very careful about the way she responds uh, in this. Um, and she, she makes some pretty great statements of faith here. Um, what, what statements of faith does Mark, Martha make in this passage? Um, if we were going to write them down, there's several, right, that she makes. What statements of faith does she make? Move this over by the board. Just start when she starts talking in verse 21. Okay. If you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. And what else? Whatever you ask God, he will give you. Even now, whatever you ask God, God will give you. Okay, what else? believe in the resurrection, right? Uh, what did she say? On the last day? How did she put it? Rise again at the resurrection at the last day. Right? Now, did all Jews believe that? No, there's a whole group. The Sadducees and those influenced by them, which would have been many of the priests, who didn't believe in a resurrection at the last day. So, okay, so that's a pretty big statement of faith. Faith, anything else? Okay. I believe you are son of God. What else? You are Lord. Right? That's the first thing she says to him, and then she reiterates it here uh, in verse 27. She says, Lord, if you had been here, verse 21, and then verse 27, yes, Lord, I believe. Okay, what else? <laughs> I mean, we talk about confession. Like before somebody's baptized or whatever, you know, like that's basically what people confess, right? I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm willing to make him Lord of my life. Um, that's basically the confession, right? So these are real and powerful statements, confessions of faith. And they really are great and wonderful confessions, Um I would just suggest that they fall short of exactly the confessions that Jesus is wanting her to make. Um, what did she believe that Jesus could do? She could, he could heal her brother, right? If you had... Let's see if this other color works. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. She believed in his power to heal her brother. Okay. What else did she believe that Jesus could do? Okay, very good. I believe in the resurrection at the last day. Does she say that Jesus is going to do that? No, she doesn't. Just There is going to be a resurrection, and God's going to raise people on the last day, and I believe he's going to be raised then. Okay, So that's not really something with Jesus. And I think we kind of get an implication of that with this second thing that she says. Um, maybe in some ways it's the biggest confession that she makes, but it also maybe shows where she falls short. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. What is she saying there? I think she's saying that you anything, but I don't think she, the thought process is in her mind that he's going to raise him from the day of now. Okay. So maybe it's just kind of a, I believe that you can do anything, whatever you ask. Like, my, my faith in you has not been 
harmed or hindered by this death of my brother. I still think that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. But she just didn't have in her mind even that idea that somehow he would raise him from the dead. Okay, what else do you think it could mean? I mean, we know what's going to happen next, so it's kind of harder for us to read that, right? But... Yeah, I, I think there is that, applic- that implication there, right? That maybe the power, you know, Jesus, you're the Messiah, and that's great, but you've got to ask God for this power. Well, it's interesting, Jesus does ask his Father, but, but I think he is trying to get her past this idea of, all right, God, you've got to ask of God, and God will give it to you. Um, maybe even in raising her brother from the dead. But Jesus needs her to see and comprehend the confessions that she's making. Um, Jesus offers resurrection from sin and ultimately from death to eternal life because he is God. Uh, And there are a couple of things that I want us to see and discuss in regard to that. Um, The first is there's a difference between God's true power and our limited understanding of it. Um, Sometimes I think that's what she's doing here. She's she's limiting what God can do and what God is going to do, maybe because she doesn't comprehend who Jesus really is, and that's the second thing. There's a difference between believing, she believed in Jesus, and fully perceiving who it is Jesus is and what it is that he is offering on this occasion. Um, one, one, of my, one of my favorite passages on this first one about God's true power and our limited understanding of it is Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. You could probably quote it, but let's turn over there so that we can see a couple of other verses uh, in the context of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now we've talked about that. You could probably explain it back to me. Uper ek peri su and this overflowing power and how it's beyond all that we can ask, all that we can even think or comprehend. And God is able to do beyond all of that. Um, I like the way Meyer summarizes it. There is nothing at which the action of God would have its limit. He still can do more. Now, where is the ultimate proof of that? If we want to show proof of God's power, um, what proofs might we give? And there's, there's a number that we might give to show that he can do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all that we can ask or think. The the creation, right? Seeing the universe. What else? What does he cite as proof? And, And really this is according to the power that works in us. So this is power directed at us. He cites something else as proof in the book of Ephesians if we go back to chapter 1 and verses 18 through 20. The 
creation, the resurrection at the last day, the revelation of God, the plan of God. There are lots of things that we might point to where God can do above and beyond all that we could ask or think. But in verses 18 through 20 of chapter 1, here's this idea of being able to see our perception again. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you might know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory. of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power where which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places so on and so forth here's the proof that I'm going to give you that you have the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe he worked it in Christ when he raised him from the dead The power of God is clearly seen by Jesus being raised from the dead. The victory in that, the triumphal ascension of Jesus after he was raised. But as great as this is, as great as this proof is of God's power, Jesus' resurrection was still just a means to an end, right? Why did God raise Jesus from the dead? Just to show his power? No, not just to show his power. Why did he do it? What do you mean to do? I don't like those, Mike. I'm still waiting on an answer. So that we could believe. So that we could believe. So that we would believe. What did it accomplish? What was the ends that this was a means to? Reconciliation of us with God, right? So that we could be raised from the dead spiritually. Um, This whole idea of I am the resurrection and the life, uh, Jesus has hit all around this already in the Gospel of John. Go back to John chapter 5. There's this great little text here. Now, Jesus heals a man who is uh, lame, who cannot walk, at the pool of Bethesda. Uh, This is, if I remember correctly, this is the third of the seven miracles that Jesus works in the Gospel of John. So number three is healing a man who's lame. What do you think number seven was in the Gospel of John? Raising Lazarus from the dead, which we're studying about tonight. Okay, so he he heals this man who was lame. He does it on a Sabbath. The Jewish leaders get super offended. um, And Jesus, as he often does, he comes back at them in verse 20. Uh, Really earlier, verse 16, but let's read down in verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Greater works than what? Healing a man that's lame, right? I've got greater miracles in store than just healing someone who is lame. Uh, Greater miracles are coming. 
And uh, the greater miracles, the, the culmination of those miracles Jesus works is raising Lazarus from the dead. Well, we should expect that because verse 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. Yeah, You want something greater than healing somebody's legs that don't work? Well, he opened somebody's eyes. He fed 5,000 people. He walked on the water and he raised someone from the dead. That's greater, right? But here's the thing. As great as that is, and that goes back to our original question, as great as that is, let's drop down to verse 24. He says there's something even greater than raising people from the dead. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. That talking about Lazarus coming out of the grave? He's talking about those who are spiritually dead and the spiritual resurrection now available in Christ Jesus. It now is that that's available. And so, he says, don't marvel at that. Don't be surprised at that, verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Jesus says, you marvel that I can heal somebody's legs? I'm going to raise somebody from the dead. You marvel that I can raise one person from the dead? I'm going to raise everybody from the dead. And all of that is merely proof that I can raise you from the dead spiritually. And so we go back to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Uh, There is this interaction with Mary as well, and Jesus weeps. Uh, But let's drop down to verse 40. Uh, Martha said, there's going to be a stench. Let's not open it up. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? They took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, not so Lazarus could hear him, but so those other people would hear him say it and put two and two together. Lazarus, come forth. Um, One of my favorite questions I've ever read, this isn't original to me, one of my favorite questions I've ever read is, what would have happened if Jesus hadn't have said Lazarus first? If he just said, come forth. Then every grave in all the world would have been opened and people would have come forth at his voice. He had to specify, Lazarus, just Lazarus, not everybody, just Lazarus, come forth. Um, only Matthew's gospel records it, but in Matthew chapter 27 When Jesus dies, what happens? In Matthew 27 and verse 50, 
And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and rocks were split, and the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. If Jesus' death just caused people to spontaneously arise from the dead, imagine his voice. Imagine his resurrection. And so the goal in mind of God was more than just raising Jesus. It was the working of his power toward another objective through the resurrection of Jesus. Our spiritual death to life. A hopeless task, but one that could be accomplished in Jesus Christ. So there's a difference between God's true power and our limited understanding of it. Lots of applications that we could make. But we should make application to our own lives. God can heal me of my spiritual death, whatever it is. We should make application to the lives of others when we see others in terms of evangelism or in terms of restoring those who were Christians that have fallen away. This is how powerful God is to bring life from death. And, and Martha misunderstood some things about who Jesus really was. But what she needed to understand was what John 11, 25 and 26 really means. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Uh, Sean brought up the idea of physical death and spiritual death. That, that walks us through this, doesn't it? He who believes in me, though he may die physically, yet he shall live spiritually. And whoever lives spiritually and believes in me shall never die spiritually. That's what Jesus offers. And because Jesus is... I am the resurrection and the life. We need to die to the world and crucify the old man of sin. We shouldn't fear physical death. He asked, do you believe this? We need to believe in him and believe in his resurrection. And then we need to do what he says. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. We need to live our life. Not tonight. Yes, tonight but also tomorrow and the next day and the next day, we need to live in Him so that we might have the power of God working in us and for us to bring about our resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. Thank you for your good attention tonight.